Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't live a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting a History Podcast. This is your host, Kat, and this week, it's just me. And before I get started, I wanted to give a little shout out to some of our listeners. No reason why, just that you're all kind of amazing and your support means more than words can convey. Amanda Seabaugh, Whitney Davis, Tammy Johnson, Rachel Stivers, Marcy Bates, Sam Bledsoe, Samantha Stoltz, Eric Zatina, Jamie Harris, and of course, Michael Patrick. We heart you all so much. This undertaking this season has taken me on a roller coaster of information and emotion that honestly I can't describe in words. I've been very lucky to connect with Debbie's niece, Jocelyn, who honestly I consider a friend now. I actually speak to her more often than I do my sister sometimes. And I still do not know where we are going to end up. We are a couple of weeks ahead of the podcast in real life, and there isn't a day that goes by that we don't get information that contradicts the information we got the day before. The ups and downs I have and we have and are still going through just prove that we don't know where or how this is going to end. I have to keep reminding myself that it's not just a story I'm telling all of you, that there are people behind it, family members who just want answers or at least some healing. In my gut, I believe that someone out there knows something. In this episode, I'm sharing my first conversation with Jocelyn's mom, who is Debbie's sister, Janice. And then immediately following is my conversation with Mary Bell from the Doe Network. Hi, this is Kat from Haunting History Podcast. Oh, okay. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Jocelyn told you I would be calling? Yes, she did tell me. Okay. Now, um, she's Jocelyn is Deborah's niece, so you're Deborah's sister. Yes. And how, do you mind if I just start asking you questions right away? No, no, that's fine. Okay. How old were you when Deborah went missing? And you were still living at home? Yes. Now, this is what I get confused about a little bit. Deborah was born in Pennsylvania, but was living in yes. California currently when this when she disappeared? Yes. Okay. And then how did, do you know how she met her husband, John? I'm not exactly sure how they met. Um, we, well, we moved out to California when I was a year old, so the whole family moved out there. And, um, so I, I don't know how she met him, you know, but I do know that, um, you know, when they got together, um, they moved after, Deb moved back to Pennsylvania when we did. And then John came and joined her there. And then they ended up getting, you know, married, had twins. So they got married in Pennsylvania. Yes. Where at in Pennsylvania, do you know? Um, Indiana, Pennsylvania, that's where we lived, as is all of us, you know, all around there somewhere, <laughs> Indiana, PA. So did Deborah go to high school in California then, if you were a year old? and um, Yeah, she must have. I mean, I, I you I'm, know, yeah, she I'm must have to gone to high school there. I went, you know, that's where I went to, you know, kindergarten, elementary, you know, middle school, all of that. So there's an 11-year age difference between you and Deborah. Yes. Okay. 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 So did you, so you moved back 
to Pennsylvania and she got married and had the kids. Did you ever, you, you must have been old enough then when she got married to have met the kids oh, and yeah. things like that? Oh, yeah. You, uh, we used to um, go to her, um, her and John's um, place all the time. We babysat them, you know, and then um, when I was 15, um, my mother and my sister Pam and I flew out to California and we stayed with them for a week. Oh, in California when you were, okay, in Ventura. Yes, in Ventura. The boys were like two, I believe. Oh, so it wasn't that long before she went missing. Yeah, it was that summer and the summer before she went missing. And, you know, then she went, you know, missing several months after that. So do you remember how you guys found out she went missing? Yes. Um... We were at home, I, I think it was a Sunday, I believe it was a Sunday, um, and the phone rang, and so my mom went over, you know, we were just hanging out like in the dining room, so we could hear, and then my mom answered the phone, and I could hear her saying, what do you mean, Debbie and the twins, what do you mean um, they're here, you know, and she's like, what's going on? And so, of course, I went over and, like, stood beside her because I was, like, you know. She was you know, frantic. Something bad had happened. Okay. And um, so that's, that's how. And who called her? That's when her husband called her? John called her, yeah. And, and what did your, how, oh, my God, I don't even know. There's so many questions. So John called <laughs> her and said, and asked where Debbie was. Jocelyn yeah, had yeah. said. If, he, if, if they had hit her and the twins had made it there, okay. Then could he speak with her? And um, this was on a Sunday. So do you know if he reported her? I believe her? it was a Sunday. It could have been a Saturday. I don't know. I'm, th- I'm thinking that it was a Sunday because um, I, I had, there were a couple other family members there, you know. Right. So what was your mom's initial reaction? Did she think that Debbie was still on her way there? She was. She didn't think there was a chance. Yeah, she knew that, um, well, Debbie and the twins weren't there. And she knew that that she, John had told her that he, Debbie told him that my mother was very ill on her deathbed and that she needed her and the twins needed to fly out to Pennsylvania to be there with my mom and family. And um, my mother wasn't sick. And so we knew something was terribly wrong because that's the story he told. He said that he took her and the boys to the airport but had to drop them off and couldn't see them in on off the, on their flight because he was, was double parked. That's what he said. So what was your mom's initial reaction? Did she think Debbie was lying to her husband or did you think her, did she think no. her husband was lying to her? He was lying to us, to my mother. Your mom and, knew. Um, my, yeah, my mother knew that, and we knew that there was something, something happened to her. Wh- where could she, you know, we knew she, did, we knew she didn't run away yeah. because my I'm how, sorry, go ahead. How did you know she didn't run away? I mean, like, based on, like, why Why based, was the first instinct to think that John was lying as opposed to the fact that Debbie may have been leaving her husband or something? 
because if she were leaving him or running off with another man or just leaving him, we would have known because we wouldn't have judged her. My parents would have, if she needed to come home, they would have let her come home with the boys. They've always been like, there was no, there's absolutely no reason to just take off and not tell my family because we were so, our family, but we were so, always so, Debbie kept in close contact with us. She called um, two, one to two times a week. She wrote letters to each and every one of us all the time. Like she, there was, there would be no reason for her to lie. My parents would have welcomed her back home. So there would have been no or, judgments or anything. There was nothing holding her back from just running back to mom and dad. Right. Nothing, nothing for, no reason for her to not call and say, I'm not happy, I'm leaving John, nothing. My parents would have said, okay, Debbie, we, you know, we, we we support you. Come home. Yes. So what did you, what did, did you, I want to ask your, your mom's opinion of John, but that's not really fair because your mom can't really answer. But, well, but we, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say, well, we all kind of felt, you know, times we talked about it, you know, just after, you know, we had left their place or, you know, they had left our place, you know, my mom's house, my parents' house, that he just was always um, kind of possessive with her. Um, and he just always made me feel and my family when we discussed it, like, he didn't really care for us or, you know, like, I felt like he wanted all of Deb's attention. And, you know, so we were kind of like, we were never close with him. And I, he never got real close with us either. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. They were married in Pennsylvania, but when did they move back to California? Um, the twins, I believe, were like maybe a year old, I believe. And why and did they, they move to California? Back. Uh-huh. Why did they move to California? Because that's where, you know, John was from, and that's what he wanted to do. And so Debbie was very much in love with him, and as much as she loves her family, she had her own little family there, and she, you know, she she wanted to be happy with her husband and her two boys. So... You think that maybe he was trying to get her away from her family by moving her across country? Or did he have a job or was he just going back to his family? Um, I don't know if he had a job. He may have had something lined up that I don't know. But I mean, I do know that that was the plan, um, that he that they would be moving back to California. And, you she, know, she, so, yeah, she was madly in love with him. Oh my, she adored him. Like there, I, I never, I, as far as I knew, you know, um, he loved her too, you know? Um, but she did everything she could to make him happy. And they were very close. Um, they did everything together. They painted, they were artists. Um, they skateboarded, they surfed, they, they just did everything together. They had, like so much in common, you know. So you never saw way. any marital issues between the two of them, even when you were in, you were in California. 
did I ever see any issues? No. I mean, there were times he was um, uh, short with her or she never pushed. She never pushed. She never tried to push his buttons. She was always very happy-go-lucky and, you know, she never, I never heard them like, I'm sure that they may have disagreed on things, but I've never heard them ever have like a big fight or anything. You just always kind of felt um, like, like what, I don't know, I want to say we were very careful. We kind of walked on eggshells because we always felt that he didn't want us around. So we, you know, even with the boys, um, when we would pick them up or play with them, he, it seemed like he always was like, you know, like worried about how we held them or, you know, stuff like that. You know, just like he didn't like us or trust us. So even, did you think about these things while, she, before she went missing or did all these things kind of come to your brain after she went oh, missing? No, I mean, I always felt that way. You know, I mean, um, I didn't like set and I was 15, so I didn't, you know, like, or, you know, growing up, I was younger than that when they were in California, in Pennsylvania. But, um, yeah, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't speak but my up family about did it. discuss it at times, you know, like, you know, just saying how he kind of felt like he was better than us or, you know, he was just always, always very possessive with her and like he wanted all her attention, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. I'm just curious. I, I mean, we have to assume, like I haven't gotten very far, but we have to assume that the husband is always the prime suspect. Do you know if yeah. that was the case early on? Yes. Well, from speaking with the detectives, even well, my mother and my father and, you know, they did suspect, they told him that they suspected him, that he was because his story, you know, his story didn't add up. Um, and then, uh, you know, every so many years for a while, and, and it, it, you know, it was unsolved. So it was a cold case. And um, so we would get a phone call from a new detective that, you know, had, you know, Gone looked the at file. the file and yeah. whatever. And, you know, we always felt that that's what they always, that, well, we more than felt they, they told my parents that they, that was their person of interest, you know, was right. John. Did they ever but say they why they couldn't oh. go after him or arrest him? I mean, um, mainly why they didn't because they claim they said they just didn't have the evidence to do it. Like that, they said they said that um that they just didn't have anything. There okay. was nothing to go on. Okay, but you know that that's all I know. So did you, you know? But it, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I was just gonna say, but his stories didn't add up okay. so that's why they suspected him do you know i mean this was the 70s so drugs were kind of a big thing do you know if yeah they ever did drugs or anything i mean i know they smoked pot i mean okay. you know who doesn't and um and i don't know that they did any other drugs but i mean i know that they did smoke pot and okay. they didn't drink a lot but occasionally you know okay. um so drugs were not an that's issue all that i know of Okay. But, and does your family believe that he could have hurt her or... Yes. And the boys. Do you guys believe that he could have hurt his own sons? 
I didn't see him hurting the boys. Okay. I do believe he loved them. Um, but I could see him hurting her. And, um, you know, that's what, that's what we always believed. Whether he, it was intentional or it was, you know, a fight, an argument, and it got physical. And then what, you know, but we feel that he is responsible. He knows, he knows, he knew what happened to her and, you know, where, where she, her remains are because we, we don't believe she's alive. Okay. We knew that right away. But you think there's a chance the boys might still be alive? Yes. I, we always believed that, you know, we always did even now. You know, even now, I believe that, you know? Okay. Do you, um, I have so many questions, and I, I I feel like as we go along, I'll get more. Do you mind if I call you again sometime? And, and oh, of, yeah, that's okay. fine. Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for everything. Of course. And I'll stay in touch, and I'm, I'm, I'm have a feeling I'm going to be talking to Jocelyn a lot. So, and yeah. then you have my phone number now, too, if you have. Any questions that Jocelyn can't answer, feel free to call me. I will. Okay. Thanks so much. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello? Hi, Mary. Well, I should have just talked to you because I did some research and there's very, very, very little information on either one of those two. Right. I mean, I've found a lot since I started, though. Really? Yeah, I mean, a, a ton. Well, you must be searching newspapers, old, and things of that nature. I actually, um, well, one newspaper helped me find what the husband's middle name was and his parents' name. So that helped a lot. Well, it certainly is bizarre that a woman and twins can disappear and nothing's ever heard. I know. Uh, after all this time, I know. nobody knows anything. Very odd and unsettling. It is unsettling and the thing, I've been in contact with her family which unfortunately you know what's weird is when I first started doing the research my first thing was I contacted the detective and he told me that there was no one surviving anymore. The husband was gone. Her parents were gone. His parents were gone. Kind of good luck with this. And he, the Ventura Sheriff's Department is has a policy that missing persons cases are not considered public. So the, so the only person entitled to the case file which would give me a ton more information, is the missing person themselves. Okay. So, well, that's a neat trick. If you could do that, yeah. you would solve the case, wouldn't you? That is so insane to me. So since, since the Doe Network sent me that case, I have spoke to the detective. I spoke to the lady um, at NamUs, Allison O'Neill. I found the family and I have, I speak to them. I've spoken to both of her sisters. She has, um, like I said, weirdly that he told me that there's no surviving family members. She has six surviving siblings, two brothers and four sisters. 
and countless nieces and nephews. And they're all still 100% haunted by this case. They, every day, the sisters, I spoke to both the sisters, and there isn't a day that goes by that they don't think of Debbie Lynn and those boys. And they've all mounted their own searches over the last 40 years. The only thing is, is that the grandmother was the only one that stayed in contact with the husband. And she spoke to him often over the years. And apparently he died in 2008, which was three years before the grandmother passed away. And the only thing that the family knew or believed was that he committed suicide. But that's all they know. And they don't even know that for a fact. That's just kind of family lore that's been passed down. And um, the gra- because the grandmother was the only one that ever spoke to him after the disappearance, it's sort of like a 40-year-old game of telephone. Nothing is direct from any living person. It's all what was passed down from the grandmother to their daughters to the nieces. So that makes it a little bit more complicated. But last night, just last night, we, um, talking to the, the niece, we kind of started the ball rolling. Like, she created a Facebook page for Debbie Lynn and the boys just to get more publicity out there that maybe someone someday heard something or knew something. And then I um, got her to build a family tree on Ancestry. Okay. And she, her aunts and her, and the nieces all have offered to do their DNA. So I put them in contact with Allison Namus, and um, the sisters were both, Allison was going to set up both the sisters in their respective states to have their DNA done to be entered into CODIS. She called back yesterday and said that the grandmother and one of the sisters had done DNA years ago, so it's already in the system. And, and, and... They have Debbie's DNA, her dental records, and her fingerprints on file in CODIS. Well, that's amazing from a case that old. Why, really why would Debbie have her finger... Now, this is one question, and I have more to tell you. But why would Debbie have her DNA... Why would her... Not her DNA. Why would her fingerprints be in the system from, 19, from before 1979? Under what circumstances would a woman have had their fingerprints done prior to 1979 right because i mean i know i've had my fingerprints done several times but that was to work at my kids school do you know what i'm saying so my fingerprints are on the system but it was because they require that for you to work in schools nowadays but they would not have required that in 1979 no so the only reason that she would have her fingerprints is because she would have been arrested right I think so, yeah. Okay, so that's where we're at right now with that. But here's the other good news. Because we built the family tree on Ancestry.com, which, by the way, they're doing their DNA too, in the event that Debbie or her son survived, her sons would be old enough to have their own children, even to adult age at this point. So any one of them could have done their DNA for any reason, and it could be on Ancestry or Match or anything. So... Debbie Lynn's family is going to do their DNA through Ancestry.com also, so that we could kind of go that way too. But in the meantime, because they built their family tree, we got in contact with the husband's family. And they wrote, yeah, they wrote back last night 
and said that they're more than willing to tell us John's side of what happened. And they dropped a bombshell that we didn't even know is that John, the husband, his brother hired a private investigator to try and find her. Well, that is very surprising because uh, it was just sounding to me like a family annihilator to me. Right. It really, really, I mean, I think it's sort of, I mean, it's expected that your first impression is that the husband has something to do with it. So then you start looking at even talking to the sisters. Like, they really didn't have anything bad to say about John, but little innuendos, like he was controlling or they didn't feel always comfortable around him. So then you start building your own mind, like, all these things against the husband because your first assumption is when a woman disappears that it's the husband who has something to do with it. That's just, that's human nature. It would be difficult for somebody to disappear in 79, I don't think, and stay gone. You don't think it would be difficult, or you do think it would be difficult? I think it would be very difficult. See, I kind of felt differently because the detective had told me that the even the investigation alone was so different, how they handled it in 1979. But he was saying that, like, the boys would not have even had to have any kind of social security numbers or anything. And it was very easy to fake a social uh, birth certificate from that long ago because it wasn't really tracked that well. And that she would have been able to get them social security numbers and everything in alternate names. Well, there's that, but I just think it's, eventually that catches up with you, uh, particularly social security numbers that are bogus, uh, you know, at some point, you're going to want to get a job, and you're going to be earning an income, and if that Social Security number isn't a real one, I think it, you know, it just would bounce back on her. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And she didn't have, like, real jobs back then. She was an artist. She used to paint. And she would sometimes work for a restaurant. Like, she didn't have a regular career back then. So I, we're waiting to hear back from the family. The initial message we got was that they were more than interested in talking to us and that they would help us with his side of the story and what had happened. It would be interesting to know what they thought happened to her. Right? Yeah. The story was apparently through the family lore on the Cronin side, on, on Debbie's side, was that John always felt like she ran off with someone. And he even had, like, the maintenance man. Like, we never got, we haven't gotten his name yet. But he didn't believe, I mean, but again, you just, you really never know. But the fact that his family hired a private investigator leads us to believe at least a little bit that his family believed in his innocence in the whole situation. No? Well, yeah. I mean... No, I know, I know, I know. But at least there was, at least it wasn't clear cut. Like it wasn't, again, unless we can get the investigative file, we're never going to even, we don't even know what his initial original statement was to the police. We have no idea. Yeah, I mean, were they separated? Uh, Nope, they were not. Okay. Wow. And she was planning, this is the other thing too, this is what's really confusing, is that John and Debbie 
We're supposed to be hosting Debbie's sister the week she went missing. The sister had moved um, to Venezuela, and she had travel plans to go back to Pennsylvania and then stay with Debbie and John for two weeks. Debbie and John both knew that the sister was coming. When they got the phone call that Debbie was missing, it was within days of the time that the sister was traveling to California to stay with them. Well, usually when a mother and kids go missing, I, I always think it's the spouse, or if they can't find the car, I wonder if they drove off in a lake or something, but um, that, they have the car. Right. <laughs> so it's a total puzzlement. Um, and it's good that they're doing the DNA, because that if they're alive, I think something should show up somewhere. Yeah, it might not be tomorrow, but maybe someday. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying. I suppose that she could have absconded to a foreign country, I suppose, and be living there. Uh, the sister was in Venezuela. Or are they? Do they have a South American connection? No, she was married, and her her husband did. Again, there's ten siblings, and as close as they were, Debbie wrote letters and called her family often. So that's oh, okay. that's the conflicting part as far as her absconding or disappearing with some mystery man is that she had a close relationship with her family. But the contrary to that is, is when I asked the sisters, like, were you, were you really close? My answer has been both times. Well, as close as you can be with nine brothers and sisters. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like, yes, the sister was going to stay with her. They were close. They were siblings. But when you ask, like, if you ask if my sister and I are close, there's only two of us. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, we are ridiculously close. That we don't have any other siblings. But in the case of having nine brothers and sisters, I guess there's sort of a limitation on how close you are to each individual one. Unless you're born right on top of each other. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's just... uh... And there's a different, yeah, there's a different dynamic when there's nine brothers and sisters than there is if it was just two sisters or a brother and a sister. Because the closeness is there, but there's still that distance of, you know, spreading yourself between nine other people. Um, that was probably pre-Facebook, so they probably didn't stay in touch that way. No, they. she wrote letters and called him often. And that was the one thing in the, you know the craw in their bottoms these all these years is that the family doesn't believe that if she survived that she would have not contacted one of them but i keep telling them the one of the rules of disappearing is no contact like that's just the rule of it you contact one person and then there's that opportunity of being found again so if for some reason debbie didn't want to be found that rule of disappearing would disappear if she contacted any of them. So it kind of goes both ways. Like, did she disappear at the hands of her husband? Did she disappear at the hands of a different person? Or did she choose to disappear? We we really don't know that yet. Well, it'll be interesting to see what your podcast turns up. Yeah, I'm working on it. I've worked harder on this than I've worked on anything in my life, but... Thank you. Wow, well, you should uh, 
I should hire you. <laughs> it's it's so funny. You should be in charge of the coke. <laughs> and it's so funny because the the niece that I've been talking to, she's like, "Do you do this for a living?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> Work, I, I, think. I don't. And she's like, I'm so glad that I sent that initial email. I mean, I love my podcast. I love that I do. I mean, I love telling stories. That's why I started it. And by nature and by my education is history and research. So it's just, again, my nature. But all the stories I've done so far on my podcast have been historical, unsolved crimes and true crimes like Lizzie Borden or the Black Dahlia or, you know, haunted locations with deep histories or whatever. This is the first time I've done a missing persons exactly case where I just wanted to make a difference. I didn't want my, I love that my podcast tells stories. I love that I have fans that love the stories, but I wanted to do something that would make any kind of difference, whether it's a good outcome, a bad outcome or no outcome that at least it's something more than just telling stories. And to be honest, I feel like my life's been altered just even a little bit by starting this, by doing the story and meeting the families. And I guess I got what I wanted already. Um, I think so, because um, she's probably buried. And I don't know that you know that'll ever... And they and the one thing the one thing that the family can agree that agree on after you know this forty year old game of telephone is that a Debbie truly and madly was in love with her husband. She loved him. They said that you could tell to look at her and him that they madly loved each other, and that John was was devoted to his sons. I guess I would wonder why he didn't hire a private investigator. I mean, why did it take somebody else in the family? Um, I'm just always really suspicious of the spouse. Well, the, um, apparently they didn't. They were both artists. They didn't. He was a blue collar worker, and in their spare time, they painted. So I do know that they didn't have a lot of money. They lived in an apartment. Okay. But he did come from money. Was the family history family lore? The, the, it was the brother that hired the, it was the brother that hired the um, private investigator. So for whatever reason, he, either he questioned his brother's innocence or he truly believed in his brother's innocence. And that's what I'm trying to find out right now. Well, let's say that it was an abduction. I mean, have a reason to get rid of two two boys usually they dump them somewhere you know church or right or something um, just very odd it is very odd i mean we know about like the colorado case recently where the husband killed the wife and all the children and i mean yeah. it does happen it does happen but if i'm hearing from her family how devoted he was to his sons and how devoted they were to each other that's, you know what I mean? That's the people that would suspect the husband the most. Um, it's a puzzlement. It is. Maybe we'll find out more. I mean, honestly, it was just last night that we got the, the message back from the family saying that they would love to talk to us. Well, I'll 
look forward to listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. I mean, again, I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but hopefully, I don't know. As long as I can walk away from it knowing that I've done what I can to guide them and help them at least know that they checked every box, then I feel like I've done what what was asked of me. You know what I mean? Do you know what this nervous condition is? It wasn't a nervous condition. It was, um, she was epileptic. Oh, I see. Okay. But here's the other thing, too. Her epilepsy was brought on by fear. Like, if something happened, if she was in a car that almost got in a car accident, that's when she would have a seizure. And she was on very strong drugs. Okay. Huh. Puts another angle on it, too, doesn't it? Could be she did something to the boys. Uh, but again, I think she would have shown up somewhere. And with nine brothers and sisters, she would have contacted somebody. Well, and this is the other thing that we were talking about, too, with Allison from NamUs. She was saying, okay, there's no Jane Doe's in the system that matches Debbie. If they have that much information and forensic evidence from her dental records, DNA, and fingerprints, she hasn't shown up in the system. But not every well, agency... a Jane Doe that just has dentals and hasn't been... Because uh, that has to be individually. You, you can't run that through a... Uh, there's no screening. In other words, a, a for dental. has to actually look at that. Right. But there is for her DNA, though. Isn't that what CODIS does? Yes. But we have Jane Doe's that don't have DNA or fingerprints. Like if it's old skeletal remains, uh, the DNA might not be... Entered in the system. Might not be sufficient. So, let's say it's a skull. So you're not going to have any fingerprints. Right. DNA, it's, it's hard to get DNA out of a skull because it's very thin. But you probably do have dentals. Okay. So um, that would have to be looked at on a one, one-on-one basis by a forensic dentist. So what about, um, Allison was also saying that not every law enforcement agency is even entered into CODIS or NamUs. So there could be a Jane Doe out there that was found in the desert of California that hasn't even been entered anywhere yet. Yes. Uh, there are some counties in California that have no nameless entries. In, 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 in How do we find out what counties those are? Well, you could actually do a search, um, and uh, you could put, like, um, female, uh, and then you would do, uh, in other words, if you just put female California, it's going to give you probably hundreds. Mm. Let's say you put female California and then you put Los Angeles. It's only going to give you those that are in Los Angeles. You have to go county by county. Um, I mean, ideally, wouldn't NamUs want every single law enforcement agency in the nation to be a part of the NamUs network and CODIS? I mean, wouldn't that just be having one, like when I spoke to Todd Matthews, having that one place where all the information is, is only going to benefit all the different agencies? I think it's extremely foolish if they're not doing that. Um, I don't know why 
Well, I've heard that sometimes it just falls down to not having enough manpower. Well, there's that. Uh, if it's a small, poor, you know, like uh, Mississippi is a really poor state. And they don't really have, like, medical examiners and things. Like, they'll have a coroner. Right. So they're not going to have anybody working cold cases. And uh, There's just a limit to what they can do. I guess but it uh, it behooves all law enforcement agencies to, to get that if they want to resolve their, their caseload to get them entered into different into the the one place that everything is. Yeah, um, I mean, this is a great organization. Uh, I'm amazed that uh, like Europe and Canada haven't uh, followed suit and set up their own versions of nameless. Right. Can you, um, I know that I kind of probably blindsided you with all the information I already have. You're doing a great job. You don't need me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying. I really am trying, but. Cover the waterfront when there's so many twists and turns. Yeah, right? Well, yes, this, uh, wish, especially this one sounds like it has quite a few. It does. Wish me luck. Uh, well, I, I suspect that something will come of it. Really? That would be amazing. Yeah. From your I, from your mouth to the universe, hopefully. <laughs> well, I think uh, missing person's best friend is media. Um, you know, if you, you're not getting your case, attention drawn to your case, it will fall by the wayside. Even 40 years later, you think that's a possibility? Yes. Somebody always knows something. The conversations in today's episode took place between May 18th and May 25th, 2019. Be sure to like and share the Facebook page, Find Deborah Lynn and Sons. And as always, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. Be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode. Until next time, I'm Kat, and remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Ghost.